Welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and mouse bites. We are your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Doman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 324. So to start off the podcast, MacFab, we have an update, a platform update. Uh, and it's actually interesting is... Uh, it's not on our blog yet. It's actually a press release on Yahoo Finance. So moving up in the world, right? Nice. They're getting yeah. to it before you even can. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> News travels fast. Yeah. Um, so we have six new component vendors that you can that uh, we aggregate part uh, um, supplies from on our platform now, and we did enable. Uh, we just enabled consignment for a 10 day manufacturing. So there's like, you know, 10 day normal and then like the budget class stuff. Um, it used to be consignment was not enabled for cons uh, 10 day. So we have, have that enabled. And um, basically it's just going to be, I, I'm, I'm really excited about this update um, because one of the biggest problems we have right now is what we've been talking about for like what the last eight months, supply chain issues. Um, and so, uh, hopefully this will address a lot of people's problems by having more vendors available. And if you do have components on hand for your prototypes, you can still get those 10 days with those consignment parts and not have to worry about, uh, supply chain issues for your, your, uh, quick turn, uh, prototype PCBs. Yeah. I could see that being really useful because, um, as an engineer, you, you might have a real or even just a bag full of parts. Uh, so being able to ship that in. Uh, and say like, hey, you know, I'm shipping these parts in. Can I get these these turned around quickly in 10 days? Like, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I, I heard something interesting or I was talking with one of our employees at work today who, who worked at a contract manufacturer previously. And, and we were actually just talking about um, uh, consignment earlier today. And I heard some nomenclature that uh, I had never really put a piece together. And I thought this this was kind of cool. I mean, I'm a, I'm a dork, so of course I think this is cool. But back when I was working at Macrofab, uh, we used to say any part that you didn't put on a board, we would call it DNP, which means do not populate, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which was, you know, that's fairly standard industry uh, nomenclature. Well, when I came over to where I'm working now, they use DNI, do not install. So, okay, great. Like, whatever. Like, sure. Like, they, they mean the same thing. Right? Do not populate, do not install. Well, the, this, this person I was talking to today said that they worked at a contract manufacturer that used both of those to mean different things, where do not install meant do not install it and don't buy the part. But do not populate meant don't install it, but buy the part and supply it to the customer. Which is a pretty mm. cool way of of like differentiating on the on the bomb because maybe the customer like wanted those parts, but they were going to figure out how they got soldered and stuff like that. Yeah, it could be a configuration thing or like a fuse cap holder too, or maybe like a jumper, like a mm -hmm. shunt jumper that you yep. don't really want installed, but you need it because it's like it's configured as like a build box thing. Right, right. And if you're doing like quick turn stuff and you know you have all these different configurations, you can just have Macrofab or, or whoever like supply all the parts for the configuration because maybe in your office you don't have like an entire, you know, office worth of parts and stuff. So I thought that was pretty cool. I, I like that because I've used DNI and DNP interchangeably. Uh, mm -hmm. But, but um, I like the idea that DNI means one thing and DNP means another. Yeah. Could be a little confusing. I think, okay, so now we have to start getting to where you have to have like a glossary of terms in your, your bill of materials. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you, you might label DNP for all your parts that you don't really want and then send it off to this company and then you get all these bags of parts coming with you, yeah. with your stuff. Exactly. <laughs> I guess you I think, just have I think to you would explicit. see that in your quote, though. You'd be like, why is this quote higher than it should be? Yeah, way higher. <laughs> No. Well, that's cool. Okay, so uh, yeah, six new component vendors. That's that's awesome. And and yeah, those so are those are like automatically lumped in when you do quotes, right? Yeah, when you do the quote automatic quotes through the uh, MacRef platform. Yeah. Um, so yeah, better part availability and more flexibility with QuickTurn. You know, with the consignments. 
So. Well, and and you know, with with Macrofab, of course, those have all been vetted, and those are all like official and and you know good component vendors. So correct. Yeah. Um. So after that, um. Yeah. So we have a there's a white paper that SparkFun came out with, um, written by Nick Poole. And uh, it is about mouse bites, which you might not think is an interesting topic, but it is something that at least I deal with like on a daily basis at Macrofab for. Um, so I, I read this, I think it's like 12, 12, 13 pages long, if I want to recall. Yes, um, um, mouse bites, I deal with them uh, probably weekly myself. I mean, I part of my DFM process is taking a board and prepping it for being able to run on uh, our machines. So that means I get some kind of rectangular board outline or something like that. Well, I got to massage a bunch of it and add mouse bites and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, basically what this white paper is about is different kinds of designs of mouse bites and going over the rigidity of the mouse bite and how easy it is to depanel the board with and without tools, bunch of uh, considerations for that. Um, and one thing they do mention is an uh, IPC, like, because you would think there'd be like a classification that would cover, like, these are the industrial standards for depenalization stuff. Nope. It, no. No, it, it's so an IPC 7351, it's a, uh, that's like the, general umbrella about like pcb manufacturing like yeah. specifications and stuff and it's like on one like page there's like a diagram for mouse bites um and nick pool like goes into details about it and uh so he tests that and he tests some other versions um the main thing with mouse bites and let's just say depenalization is you want to reduce how much work it is to remove to depanel um like v score is honestly the easiest uh like you usually just you have this big pizza i mean you can like snap it with your fingers but we'll get more into why that's not a good idea later um but you have this like big like diamond coated pizza cutter like it legit is like a, a a disc with diamonds on it that gets like sandwiched onto your board and then like zips the parts apart mm -hmm. um it's kind of actually crazy how quick and clean that tool works um but of course v scoring only really works on boards that have straight edges like one edge is straight right yeah you can't have you can't, curved v scores I, technically you can technically well, uh, no. well okay T technically they run it through a cnc's um and so no um, it's not a cnc machine it can be uh, I know okay, ours does. It, okay, okay. So so it can, it can be, and can so be. there's a lot of technically here. But if you pr if you test the waters on this, you're probably going to get your board kicked back. Yeah, um, technically it's a CNC V groove. There's a lot of technicality. Most, here. I'll put it this way though: in most mass production boards, it's actually just a machine that they just that just has a, a wheel cutter. Oh yeah, no, it's it's like a in. long slicer thing. Yeah, a long slicer. Um, so you can't do a curve. Um, technically, you can do a curve if you do it on a CNC with a V-bit. They're, they're not going to do that for you, though. And they honestly, yeah. though, how you snap that, I don't even know. You'd have to have, like, reliefs cut in it. So it'd have to be milled and V-scored. Yeah. Um, so usually on the curved parts uh, of a PCB, you either have a route out on around it, and if it's big enough, you have to support that edge, and you do so with mouse bites, which is just a tab uh, going from one, basically across the V groove, or across the... Uh, the slot. The slot, or the route out, and then it has holes drilled in it to kind of like make it easier to fall apart or snap apart. Right, there's just stress um, points that can be broken, physically yes. cracked. Yeah, physically cracked apart. Um, and the the uh the whole point of that is to reduce how much work it is to 
on the, on the depanelization is how much work the CM has to do to depanelize your board. Um, whereas, uh, so depending on where you place those holes, like the more you place them inbound on the PCB, the more flush the edge that PCB is, is when you break it. But that eats up board real estate and you have to have more copper pushback and that kind of stuff. Whereas if you put the holes on the outside of the PCB, well, you can break it and then you could, well, that leaves like a jagged edge uh, on the outside of your board. And then the seam has to come in with like basically a, Sander. a like sandpaper yeah. and sand it smooth. So you can imagine like if you do enough for like a couple thousand boards, you know, someone they're just sanding boards all day. <laughs> Yeah. Is it, isn't, it, isn't it amazing that as the designer, you have some choices that are like these holes that I put near the edge of my board. If I move them a tenth of a millimeter up, that could add hours of work for my CM. Hours like days. Yeah, depending right, on the right. quantity. Depending on the quantity, sure. right? It could add. Yeah. A, yeah. Um, and so Nick Poole in this white paper goes through all like these different tests. Um. He mainly tests like breakaway strength and then like how good it looks, like how much cleanup you would have to do and that kind of stuff on the mouse bites. Um, and I thought it was really interesting is he has like a whole section on like why a certain width is standardized for mouse bites. I, I think it's like what 0.13 inches or something like that. I can't remember the exact number. Anyways. It's because most depanelizing nibble tools are like that throat depth. Right. They'll, and they'll he actually catch calls the entire out a mouse tool. Bite. Yeah. So you have like a, 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 a cutter that actually either pulls straight down or collapses uh, and can pinch that uh, mouse bite apart. Um, and he actually calls out a basically it's an industry standard tool that like almost every CM has. And it's the Hako CHP DP2. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got like hundreds of those things lying around mm -hmm. Macrofab. Because mm -hmm. um, that's uh, for like small boards and stuff like that, that's what we use. And then we have like a pneumatic um, depanelizer too, which honestly, the pneumatic one does the best job because it actually pulls straight down through it. And it of, does it very rapidly. Yeah, very rapidly. But so it doesn't, the, the problem with the Hako CHP DP2 is it like does a shearing motion. Yeah, um, it sort of rotates. Yeah, it rotates on an axis through the the uh, um, panel, which can leave basically like it will it will first start to crush before it starts to shear. Mm -hmm. um, whereas the pneumatic ones, like it's just a straight shearing action straight through the board, which leaves a much cleaner uh, mouse bite remains, I guess. Mouse <laughs> droppings, <laughs> right? I'm gonna start calling it that now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, my only complaint with the white paper is, um, the, uh, there's like breakaway torque, like how much force it takes to break the, the mouse bites and stuff. He, Nick doesn't actually like explain how he is measuring it. That's honestly like when I read these kind of papers stuff, I always go to like, how do they test it? So then mm -hmm. like, can this be replicated? That's the whole point of like these kind of papers and stuff is, is that kind of learning and yeah. Like, do you clamp? Uh, was the board clamped to like a straight edge of a table and then a weight held from the end uh, and progressively oh, and increased until it cracked? You know, like how was it actually performed? Yeah, um, that would be my only complaint. Um, I did like how he actually compared V score breakaway. But the thing about the V-score is he, I don't think he actually specified what kind of V-score he used. Because V-scoring between PCB fabricators varies greatly. Mm -hmm. Like, Macrobe actually has, we have our own, own V-score specification that we send out. That's like, you must meet this. Mm -hmm. um, because some, some board manufacturers do it really light. Some people do it really deep, like V-scoring. Yeah. So there's an, uh, there's an offset V-score, actually. Um some only do one side. We like we do double sided on on access, so like both fees like line up. Mm -hmm. um, but some some manufacturers like to do them offsets. It's I think the way you do it, where both V's on uh, axis, but not incredibly deep, leaves a really nice clean edge to a board. It does, yeah. And and what's nice is it also helps. Uh, like 
as long as they cut it well, you get good dimension dimensional accuracy on your board. Accuracy, yeah. Yeah. Um So he uh, Nick doesn't cover that, but he actually does compare like a V score, like how many mouse bites per inch, right? Do you need to replicate the V score strength? Because the benefit of V score is you have a lot of rigidity because it's a continuous like connection basically. Well, you you get you get rigidity in the axis that is perpendicular to the cut. The cut yes. is incredibly weak, actually. Yes, yeah, the cut's incredibly weak. Yeah, and uh, I think it was like a mouse, whatever mouse bite he was using per like every like thirty three millimeters, which is like what an inch and a quarter around that area, um, is like ideal. Like it's the same strength in terms of like breakaway torque. Um, which is about what we, we find, too, is around that. I think we do like a mouse bite per inch because um, usually you err on the side of too much board support than too less board support because the worst thing you can do is start manufacturing and then like ma the, your board support starts snapping because of excess weight or something like that or not enough support. Yeah. Yeah. Like too thin of mouse bites or too many drill hits or that kind of or stuff. Or V scores cut real deep. Or V scores cut real deep, yeah. And of course this all changes when you change like the thickness of the boards. Um <laughs> the great thing is yeah. with macrofab you don't have to worry about that. We would do that. <laughs> Most mostly this is on the contract manufacturer side. Yeah. Um designers generally don't have to worry about this. There is one thing to worry about though for designers. And that is component proximity to the board edge. And this is where I was talking about like snapping V score boards where I've seen like videos of people just like snapping them on like YouTube and stuff. And I'm like, that is a great way to crack your ceramic capacitors. Yeah. Especially if the long direction of the capacitor is in the length of the bend of the board of the bend. And, uh, and, and uh, it, you'd be surprised how much, um, technique it takes to actually do this yeah because like oh, yeah. say you have rectangular boards that are skinny and long if you're holding those boards from the opposite rail that you're trying to crack you're gonna bend the living bejesus out of those boards mm -hmm. and i promise you 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 may be fine if you do one four ten of these boards but try doing a hundred try doing a thousand you're gonna get fallout just from you breaking the rails off exactly yeah um and the uh, and it's the same thing with mouse bites too, because if you snap them by hand, which is kind of what they're designed for, you will get like chipping of solder mask or like uh, or over breakage into your board. Like it will like jag into like in, yeah, I've actually seen exposed coppers uh, layers that way too. You know, um, we ran into a problem at work the other day, and this was totally a design issue. That luckily it just happened on a prototype that we're we're able to fix we placed a mouse bite just a hair too close to a pad of an led and when we broke the 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 mouse bite off we did it in a proper manner but the the solder mask cracked because their solder mask pull, uh, uh, pull away from the pad of that led that was close plus solder mask pull away from the the mouse bite that was nearby and uh, it caused the top layer of the FR4 to shear, and that ended up pulling uh, a chunk of the LED pad off. Uh, so the proximity of your mouse bites to components matters quite a bit. You need a pretty hefty, uh, basically route, no route zone. Uh, so mm -hmm. don't put any copper there. Don't basically don't put zero anything there because uh, uh, it's going to pull away. And the amount. Is, is maybe, I don't know, if you can get away with, say, five times the diameter of whatever mouse bite you're using, that's probably a decent rule of thumb to, to think about. Um, because here's the thing about mouse bites. There's no standard in terms of how many to use, what the diameter of them, what they are, and how far apart they are. Now, you might Google it and somebody says, like, well, do this. This is the standard. But, like, out yeah. there, there's not, like, a, an explicit standard. Uh, and, and in fact, we ran into that ourselves for, for about a year and a half. We've been using mouse bites. Um, I think we were using half millimeter drill hits and uh, one millimeter spacing for our mouse bites. And that had been working fine. But our, our PCB manufacturer made some changes to their process. And they were like, 
this half millimeter drill hit, we don't we don't want to do it anymore. So they asked us to go up to one millimeter drill hits. Well, that changes a Ooh. lot about our boards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a that's a big hit for <laughs> that's a that's a really big jump, right? So we had to we had to make some some changes to things on that. Um, and and that's fun. So so that's uh, just keep in they mind. Probably had that, supply chain issues getting half millimeter drill bits. I, I that's what we were thinking because they had never complained about it and we'd probably run a few thousand boards with half millimeter drill hits uh and then and then it all changed and this is you know supply chain issues and and pcb issues all of these things add together for that and so you know just keep in mind that like this thing that might feel like a standard ends up not being a standard uh so so that also brings up one one other thing i've i have found what works like mouse bites for me i have a specific way that I draw them. In fact, when I start a new project, most of the time I, I, I draw my board outline, I plop down my fiducials, and then I put down mouse bites. I do it in that order such that I know my fiducials are in a place that they're good. I know that my mouse bites do, will not interfere with my fiducials, and I know my board outline is fine. Because those things I put at high priority for, for my board layout, such that all of the things that I lay out now have to conform around those items. And I usually don't have problems by doing those things first. I have mm. made the mistake of not doing those things first, and then the rest of the layout screws up those things. And I have fiducials in weird spots, and then I have mouse bites that are odd, and, uh, and that usually doesn't turn out very well. Yeah, but you have a unique position as you're designing production boards for your own company that also will produce them. Correct. And I can walk over to my my production people and say, hey, how did this go? And they're like, it went well, or that did not go well, change it. And like, I can make changes in five minutes. Yeah. It's Whereas nice. <laughs> a, most, most designers don't have that luxury because they usually design something then go start, start talking to CMs. Well, we have talked 150,000 times about if you're starting to design something, that's when you should start asking questions. Yeah, start asking questions to your CM about this is stuff that's that would that would help out in, in the end day. It's one of those um, I started thinking about like part overhangs and that kind of stuff too of how much part overhangs increases costs. Hmm. Um because you might be like trying to shrink your board down and then you have a part overhangs your board. Well, you're actually going to be paying for that overhang. Um, yeah, that, 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 that makes your board bigger. Bigger, bigger anyway, square yeah. inch wise. Um, we, I remember running into that a lot, especially USB connectors. Those are the worst. Yeah, USB connectors. Um, so at Macrofab, what we do is if there's a part overhang, that edge is always mouse bite. Because if even if it's a flat edge, if you v-score it, one if that part overhangs, you can't run your pizza cutter over it to, to panelize it. So you have right. to do like the the bad bending method, right? Right. And you can only bend in one in one, one direction. direction. Yeah. And if it's a kind of a part like a USB micro B connector where it has a lip that hangs down yeah. over the board, it's going to be lifted up now. Unless, unless there's just magically a slot routed under it, yeah, which never happens, of course. No, no. And but imagine, with... imagine the designer who has two USB connectors, and they're on both sides of the board. Yeah, both sides <laughs> of the board. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, it so, happens, um, right? Yeah. So part overhangs is something to think about on your on your costs. Um, trying to minimize those. Um, and then just talking to your CMM, CM about how far parts need to be pushed back from edges so they can run their depanelization tools. Um, that this is just one. First of all, will increase your reliability, especially if it's a ramp capacitors, because they won't be bending your board to depanelize. Because if you have parts right on the edge, or you have an overhanging part that's like uh, on, over a V score, that they have no choice on depanelizing it. They're going to have to bend it, which oh, is not yeah. good. And th and that doesn't make them happy. No. And it won't make your customers happy either when your ceramic capacitors start failing two or three years down the road or just right out of the gate. Um, and Because uh, usually when they crack, they fail shorts, which is a lot of fun to try to solve. So. Trying to think of anything else I want to talk about panelization. Well, okay, so with mouse bites, 
one thing I think is uh is important is how many mouse bites you have in in terms of the actual drill hits. How many do you put in each chunk of bites? Is it one? Oh, is yeah. it five? Is it fifty? Um, I personally have found that five works really well. Five at half um, half a millimeter does pretty well. If you have to go larger, like we've had to, to one millimeter, you can reduce that to three or four. When you start going lower than that, like one or two, I've actually done it before and it works, but it doesn't come out as clean. Though the fewer number of holes you put on your mouse bites, the more jagged your edge ends up being. Because you end up like... You're you're not like breaking up on these shear points. You're just like breaking the board at that point. Yeah, and that's like no. This is actually one thing you should talk to your CM about because it could help you reduce your costs. Mm -hmm. If you don't really actually have a hard edge that you need to maintain on your PCB, right? So it's like going into closure, and one of the edges is like just floating in there. Yeah, just floating in there. It has space around it. You can tell your CM to just like put a regular tab there with no mouse bites and they just cut it and cut it off in half. Um, yeah. Just break the whole thing. Yeah. Well, the, they will use the, the depanalyzing tools. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, like the, like the pneumatic or, shear and that'll give you an edge, like a nice clean edge. No, no. I'm saying is they can leave half the tab on. Mm. Yeah. If you don't care about the cosmetics of the edge. Yeah. You don't care about the cosmetics. Um, that, that will save you money, basically, in the long run for high production, for sure. Um, you see that all the time. If you open up any kind of, like, uh, appliance and look at its circuit boards, those are, it's either uh, that or, like, the worst V-scoring, like, edge cut you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> yeah. Where, like, the fibers are still, like, hanging out of the board and stuff. Ugh, awful. So uh, I think there's one other one other thing to keep in mind. If you, uh, depending on your board width, how far apart should your mouse bites be? Like the actual tabs. And I think the the rule of thumb is if if your board is 100 millimeters or less, uh, put put basically two mouse bites and try to evenly space them. If your board is over 100 millimeters, or I shouldn't say the board, if the edge that you're putting mouse bites on is over 100 millimeters, just put mouse bite tabs every 100 millimeters. And that's enough to keep a decent amount of rigidity uh, without being so that's, that's, ridiculous to break. See, that's way less than what we do at Macrofab and what Nick Poole recommends. Yeah, I don't think it's, it's required to have as that many. So I, I've had boards break, you know, doing less. So we just do we do about one an inch. That's that's quite a bit. That you see that adds yeah. a lot of rigidity, but it also adds a lot of stress on the board when you break it. Not when you're using shears, though. True, true. But if you're if yeah. you're breaking them by hand, that's that's different. If you're breaking them by hand, sure. But your your CEM should not be breaking them by hand. <laughs> <laughs> If you're doing it yourself, sure. But yeah. I would just pick up some some Hako CHP DP2s if you're doing it yourself. Let's just put it this way. I don't think that mouse bites should be separated by greater than 100 millimeters. Oh, for sure. I think that's a, I mean, I think that's a good rule of thumb. I would say no more than, than 50. Uh, that's my opinion, though. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else? I'm trying to think of anything because... Uh, Operations at Macrofab and engineering, like always, complain about panelization. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to talk about with that. I, I, I guess got it all though. There's there's one one thing I'll I'll add on that is mixing V score and mouse bites, doing both processes. Uh, there there are some situations where I think that can work. No, that's I'll put it this way. That's like almost the default at Macrofab. Sure. Yeah. But, well. Okay. But 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 one thing Macrofab's doing. Well, I, I guess are you talking about in Macrofab's large panels, or are you talking about Macrofab's production? Production. Okay. Yeah. So sometimes we do both at at WMD, where uh, an individual board and its rails, or an individual board is connected to its rails by mouse bites, but parallel boards side by side are V scored apart, such that say if we had like an array that was five boards wide 
um, we could break it down into one, two, three, four, or five, and they could still end up going on a conveyor if needed be. And they break via vertical uh, uh, V-scores, but they're held to their rails by horizontal mouse bites. And that ends yeah, up... Yeah, so we do... Um, basically, depends on the PCB itself of, sure. of the configuration. Um, if it has... A, if it's a straight edge with no overhanging parts, it's a V-score. Yeah. If it's got a curve in it or it's got an overhanging part, it's got to be a mouse bite. That's the only way to basically manufacture it. So you got... You, you, we sometimes have boards that have three edges v-scored and one edge is mouse bite mm, yeah right 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 i i forgot you just mentioned yeah like overhangs equal mouse bites and v yeah and it has to outs. be too yeah right, right. um i have started playing with like a route out like for the connector and then a, a v-score there the problem with that is you still can't run your pizza cutter so you have to still panel depanelize it by bending it Hmm. Um, basically overhanging parts has to be mouse bite is really the only way to do it. You know, okay. So that brings, that brings an interesting point. And, and I don't, I don't remember, or I shouldn't say remember. I don't know how Macrofab does it now, but if you have any part that exceeds the envelope of the outside of your board outline. So in other words, that means overhang. Mm -hmm. um, even if that overhang doesn't extend beneath the board like a lip on a USB connector, say let, let's just say you have something weird like an Ethernet ca connector that yeah. is L shaped and it goes up off the board and then it overhangs. That should be indicated to your contract manufacturer somehow. Or yeah. uh, here's a good one. Here's it a, would be uh, nice if customers told us that we have a process to identify those. It's hard though. It is hard because you have to look at pretty much every single new part and figure mm. out if it's a overhanging part or not. I, I think the biggest um, uh, the biggest component that makes that or that is a problem with that is probably 90 degree headers where they're placed oh, yeah. right at the edge of the board. They go up and then they stick out. And then if you have boards that are parallel, not parallel, but um, uh, just next to each other, analyzed next to each other, they interfere with each other. I've certainly yeah. made that mistake before where it's like, oh, I didn't even think about it as the designer. And then you have to go in and add space between boards for just yeah. this. So we, we, we have a process of recognizing that through orders and figuring out that's actually one of the reasons why we look so closely at overhanging parts mm -hmm. is to make sure, sure makes depanelization a lot easier because now you you put less stress on the board when you depanelize when you do it with mouse bites for an overhanging part. But making sure you can actually build the board with those parts and not have to leave parts off right. is huge. Yeah, all those DNPs. <laughs> yeah, all those DNPs are DNIs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember having to do that sometimes in the past where you hit up the customer and say like, hey, you know, sorry, we can we can install these in a secondary process, but if you need them really quick, we can send you the boards and the parts and you can solder them. And yeah, yeah. those are always fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next topic. So yeah, um, I, I recently at work, I had a uh, somebody started yesterday at, at work, so on a Monday, and uh, and it kind of brought up a a topic like in no way am I saying <laughs> did I am I bringing up this topic because things are going well this this individual is actually doing really really fantastic I'm super happy with them but it got me thinking about a topic we could talk about here is so you're new at your job what do you do like how do you handle being new at a job and this is sort of building off of this series that we've been talking about with like resumes and interviews and and how to interview on the podcast so i i'd love to just like chat a little bit about like you you you, you know you got your interview you you got the job offer you show up what what do you do as a new employee at a job one you show up on time yeah <laughs> yes absolutely yeah <laughs> And that that's the most important thing is uh, on on your first day, you show up. This, the interesting thing is I've had to think one, two, three, like f four jobs my entire life. That includes Macrofab. Mm -hmm. um, all my other ones are like either been self-employed or like something else like that. Um and uh, so I, I honestly actually only three are like actually like new jobs because like Macrofab was like 
church was like, Hey, you want to go like start another company? And I'm like, sure. And that was like it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it sort so, of didn't um, have day one in a way. Didn't was, really have day one. We, we had a day one, but yeah, it was more progressive. Yeah. Uh, MacFab was, whereas like, okay. So I guess, uh, for engineering, I actually only have, ah, there's two, there's two for that at least then. Um, so yeah, one is show up on the, on time. And usually it's like, uh, depending on the industry, one job was like a whole week of safety training. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. And so it's just making orientation. sure you're, yeah, yeah, orientation. <coughs> um, where the other one was just like getting locked into a room and being told like design stuff. Make things happen. <laughs> Make Actually, things happen. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add a quick caveat. When we say on time, that means don't be there like two hours early also no 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 like, no one's going to be there it, it, right 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 like okay so everyone else there is not probably as excited as you to start that day so yeah. like uh yeah show up on time and that means like the time they told you if you're there super early go drive to the coolest coffee shop around get yourself a coffee and just hang out and think about yeah. what you're going to do that day and then show up at whatever time they tell you show up to your supervisor's office three minutes before you're supposed to <laughs> not five um, not four not, not three minutes three, three. Minutes. okay um and uh yeah i would say most time it's going to be orientation you got to be talking with hr a lot signing a lot of paperwork yeah um and then um I think it basically it's like when does when does the actual job start? I guess is uh yeah maybe 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 we go like let's say you've gone through orientation and like yeah you you're now like you're in the engineering team's office and there's like handful of other people there and you sit down at your desk and you know let's say you, they they haven't given you like a thing to do yet you know yeah like, I would say go to your, go to your supervisor or your team lead depends on how you're how the company is structured and uh you just gotta you like hey is there and ask it this way hey is there a pro something i can work on that i can do without any knowledge of any other systems or something mm. like that yeah 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 is there a self-contained task that i can complete in the next couple of days just to get started yeah and because yeah. you're gonna have to so if like this is like the big thing with like software developers it, it coming into like Let's just say macro a code fab, base, right? right? A code base, like yeah. you having to learn that entire code base. Yeah. So, is there a project or like, well, let's say you're coming onto a design team, right? That's doing like, let's just say board layouts, and they're in the like, middle of a design. <laughs> middle of the design. Is there something that you can? Because if you just jump into that team, you're not going to have any idea what's going on. It's going to take you weeks to actually even get any kind of productivity. Mm -hmm. Um. Ask if there's something that you can do that you can complete with your current skill sets in a couple days. Yeah. Um, if it's an internship, that usually doesn't work because your skill set is nothing at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and your interns are tag along. Yeah. Yeah. Interns are tag alongs. Like you're building your skill set with an internship. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually one thing that's important, be interesting. Uh, we should hit on there is internships. Internships aren't supposed to be for aren't supposed to be you building value for the company. Um, they are for you to learn mm -hmm. as the as the uh, as the uh, internship e I guess. Um, you, you know, uh, and, and totally, absolutely agreed. I think even with an internship, but regardless of how far you are along in your career or what you've worked at, I think. Perhaps one of the one of the best things is like to ask, where do I go to learn and where do I go to like investigate and like figure things out? And and the way to like try to be really directed with your learning as opposed to just like clicking around in this new system. Uh, you because like every company you go to is going to have some kind of a system that they've put together. I think one of the best ways of of putting this together is say like this is what I've done in the past. And, and and you're asking yourself this. You're not saying this to someone else. Ask yourself like, okay, 
like me, I worked at Macrofab. Macrofab had a system. I show up at WMD and I have to learn a whole brand new system. Um, I'm comparing my previous knowledge of a system to this knowledge of a system. And so I knew at Macrofab, oh, I need to know how to go find a part. Uh, and, I, and here's how I did it at Macrofab. Well, I know I'm going to need to go find parts at this new job. How do I do that same kind of task, but at this new job? And like all of those little things, I think those are sort of the first things that make make it really um, – uh, like, like will will level you up very quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to order a part. What kind of process is exists for me ordering a part? Do I need to go make friends with the purchasing manager, uh, or do I need to look in the system? Oh, is you're there some you're way already thinking about greasing the wheels. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this new company. <laughs> well, but like, and 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 do as much as you hmm, can. If I bring the procurement person donuts, I get a free skill scope. Hey, you know, I'm not saying that's a bad idea. You know, <laughs> the uh, but like, take your previous knowledge of things that you knew worked well at other companies and see how this company does it. And I would yeah, I would say. say Good. Doing it through a project that's self-contained is the best way. To, at least that's how I learn stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the previous companies that I had to have first days or first weeks, this is more like a first month kind of yeah, thing, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think, at this point, is, uh, is that's how I did it. And I don't know if that's the correct way or the best way, but that's just how I did it. And... Uh, it seemed to work the best because after that first project, you kind of get in the groove of things and then you start to become integrated more onto the team and valuable. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, trying to find a, uh, or asking your supervisor or team lead for, uh, if there's a mentor, if you can follow along, especially if like there isn't any like small projects that you can just work on to figure out shadowing like, somebody, shadowing someone, um, trying to figure out like what they are doing, um, how they're managing their day, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, manage your time. This is more like, like Billy's first job, I guess at this point, <laughs> but managing your time is very important. Um, I would, I would use like Google count cal- a calendar, like Google calendar or something like that. Um, and even if like it's a spur of the moment thing, put it on your calendar that you mm. did it from this time to this time just for you. So you can look back a couple days later and see what did you spend time doing. And that might be a good thing to bring up with your manager at like after like the first week. Like most companies you have like a weekly meeting that's just like an update meeting with your manager or your mm. team lead. Mm-hmm. Bring that up with him and, and or her and be like, this is what I did. Is this what I should be doing? Right. Is there what do I need to do different? Yeah, yeah. Should things be different? Uh, kind of like a journal, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, to expound upon that, and and this is funny because we're talking about like you just started a job, and I'm going to mention something here that's talking about another job. Uh, but the, you'd be surprised. This is super important in my opinion. Anytime you accomplish anything, I don't care how big or how small it is. In terms of like an like a large accomplishment, uh, and what I mean by that is like Parker just mentioned, hey, is there something I can accomplish in a few days? Uh, like that that would constitute this. Write a get a, get a note thing on your phone or start a Word doc or whatever. Write that down somewhere. Just write it down that you did that. Any accomplishment you've ever done at that job, write it down. Because if you ever leave that job and you need to fill out your resume for something else, you have a list oh, of all the big it. things yeah. you did. It's so you know, convenient. Um, I don't do that specifically. Um, well, you never think you're going to leave Macrofan. <laughs> but I do look at... I do look at Jira, which is our our ticketing system, and I put yeah. everything in tickets, like almost everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whenever, so whenever you get, everyone gets this, by the way, or I think every, almost everyone gets this, is um, one of the things is as you want to experience, as especially an engineer, like especially if you're doing like design and stuff, is uh, is imposter syndrome. Like you're not good enough to be doing your job. Mm. Having that document and looking at your past achievements just as, as a refresher in your brain 
is this is a huge motivation boost of like no you you've done this stuff right you are good you're good enough yeah yeah yeah, yeah. because anxiety is crippling yeah and yeah it'll it's 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 it kind of sucks because it's circular like you get anxious oh yeah and it's then, like going down the drain <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's it's circular like you get anxious so you don't perform well so you get more anxious so you don't perform well and then like you get canned and that's just like because not because you let it happen but because like it got to you let's just put it that way and, yeah, and it, that's just human nature too yeah. everyone almost everyone will experience that yeah um it's, so, it's hard, also, yeah, like so, the i'm not good enough mentality yeah trust me uh, especially <laughs> we've all been there <laughs> especially once you get on a lo very long-term project or you get stuck on a problem for a long time that will totally get you yeah. so writing down your achievements either in a journal or just like i honestly i just like sometimes i'll just pull up like my jira history for like the week end of the week mm -hmm. and also i do that too to make sure like did i keep like how much stuff did I actually get done this week? I, I always like to figure that out too. Um, and just looking at it and being like, yeah, I did a shitload of stuff. <laughs> you know, uh, this is going to, this is going to sound a little awkward and off, but, but hear me on this. I, cause I have a friend who does that very religiously, like writes down what they have accomplished. They don't write down what they're currently doing, but like once they finish something, they write that down and they provide that to their boss in a an Excel spreadsheet every Friday, the boss never opens it unless they need to, and because mm. there 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 has been times um, where like the CEO will walk by and be like, "We pay a lot of money for this person to to have a job. Like, what do they even do?" Because like the I, and I'm I'm, oh, yeah. I'm being mean about it, and then that guy can pull up all the Excel spreadsheets and be like, "This guy works his ass off, and this is all the proof of it." And like nobody should have to prove their work like that. So, so, like, frankly, that's not a good situation. That's not a good CEO. No, that's not but a very good situation. But it's not no, a that's good... actually a very good manager yeah. to do that for his team. Well, and 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 the, the the friend of mine who does that, like, just knows he works at a place where like things are not fantastic where that can yeah. happen. So and and so DJ like it's not a bad idea. A, DJ and Chad <laughs> has a really good uh quote there. What would you say you do here? <laughs> <laughs> I got a meeting with the Bobs in five minutes. Oh yeah. If 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 your management starts using words like synergy and things like that, like yeah, start writing that resume and, and get out of there. <laughs> synergy. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Um I don't know. Like be 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 humble. Be humble uh for a while at your first job. Like the you're trying to get your sea legs at the at the new jobs. You're trying to do things. So, in other words, like don't come in like arms flailing, ready to change everything. Don't be like trying to implement new processes, unless that is unless your that job. is your job. Unless that is your yeah. job, right? <laughs> but like, if it's not your job, don't go in there and be like, everything sucks here. I know the best. Uh, and the so, best like, way, that yeah. if you have those, you're going to have those thoughts too. That, of that's always a thing. Yeah, is. Talk to your integrate onto the team first before you bring that stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way for the rest of the team to not like you. If you come in and be like, you guys are doing everything wrong because <laughs> up this ways when you come if on date, let's say it's day one. And you say that yeah. you don't know everything that's going on that, that caused those other processes to be implemented. Correct. Correct. It's impossible that you know that. So be a little bit humble, learn everything. Once you learn everything and you can once you can speak intelligently about why those processes might not work and you can present to people why those processes might not work and why yours would work, that's probably the best time to, to bring those up. Yeah. And to build on that, it's a if the person there that is still working there, ask that person who implemented that of maybe there's like a document that that shows why that process was put together like there's a proposal and then like a plan of action that kind of stuff mm -hmm. see if you can get that stuff because it might be either one thing they overlooked or you might actually just read the reasons why that it exists and you go oh that's why and i didn't think of that yeah 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 because that happens a lot at, at uh macfab sometimes where like people were like let's change this process and then i'm like 
wait, let me go find that Google Doc from like six years ago of like why we do it this way now and see if it's still relevant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes that, that reasoning is not relevant anymore. And we go, okay, yeah, let's go change it. And then sometimes it's like, no, that's still a problem. We have to keep it this way. But also, yeah. systemic problems might be systemic in your mind and not for the whole rest of the company. So exactly. keep, keep that in mind. I remember one of the first things I did when I started my very first engineering job is uh, I was reviewing some schematics and I saw that some of the symbols that were drawn were polarized electrolytic capacitors in a, a schematic and they were backwards and the way they were presented in the schematic was wrong. And I guarantee you they're still wrong today. And the very first thing I did was I brought it up and I went to the lead electrical engineer and I was like, hey, I noticed this. I was like, these capacitors are backwards. And he's like, oh, yeah, they've been like that for 20 years or whatever. And he's like, the amount of work we would have to do to change this is unbelievable and it would cost a bunch of money. So we're not changing that. And that's his answer, even though it upset me because it was like, this should be right. Like you, some of these things are not battles worth fighting. Uh, like, mm -hmm. okay, great. So what I needed to teach myself is like in this situation, those were wrong. Everyone knows they're wrong. It would be better if they were right, but it would also take a lot of work to make them right. And that's something you have to be okay with sometimes. And that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast for this week. We are your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. No, no, take oh, it take easy. it easy. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, you are a listener for downloading and listening to our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project or topic or experience first day on the job, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at MacFab at Longhorn Engineer or at Analog ENG or tweet us tweet us email us oh my god email us at podcast at macfab.com also check out our slack channel is macfab.com slash slack and we live stream tuesdays at six o'clock central time at twitch.tv slash macfab yes i still don't have a macfab url forwarder yet for that yet what do you want from me <laughs>